Welcome to the Tales of Mythic Adventure podcast, coming to you from distant shores with your hosts, Jeff and Mob. Jeff, we are, we are really excited to have as our first guest on Tales of Mythic Adventure, Rob Heinsu. What can you tell us a little bit about Rob Heinsu before we welcome him to the microphone? Well, I'm pretty sure that we're mispronouncing his name, but I can never quite, even though I've known Rob for 20 years, it, it I've is never managed. That Mob, you just hit both syllables uh, a little, although not one notch off. It, it, it rhymes with ain't so. Like, so it's yeah, ain't Mob so. Ain't so. Yep. Oh, well, so we've really started well. Okay. Well, you know, and also we haven't introduced Jeff Ricard. Bob and the report Lume, the, the, the fine host of this wonderful podcast. I don't think you guys introduce yourself. Very true. Yeah, this is this is this is Gifori Richard. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, Robert Lovo, love. And this is uh, Michael O'Brien, often known as Mob M O B. I, I, I found out something terrible the other day. I was watching Tattoo Rescue, which is something I do, <laughs> and somebody came in with a mob tattoo, and apparently mob it stands for money over broads. I've heard it stands for money over bitches, actually. Oh, okay. Well, they probably censored it, Tattoo Nightmares, and I'm just too, uh, too, 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 too delicately bred. But, uh, yes, so you, 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 you might want to watch yeah. out for that. Well, isn't that special? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, we've we've already got to a bit that we're going to have to edit out. And we're only three minutes in. Well, I call that victory, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've known uh, Rob for I think I think pretty close, um, maybe not quite twenty years, but before the time of the uh, King of Dragon Pass uh, project. Yep. And, uh, Rob was a, a, was an occasional member of the Seattle Farmers Collective, which was a little gaming group that included David Dunham and myself as regular members. And I think, I think he's done. To, you have to call me the feral cat of the, um, of the Seattle He was Farmers. the feral cat of the <laughs> Seattle Farmers Collective. Right. Very and, much uh, the feral David, cat. David Dunham, for uh, people who aren't aware, is was the creator of the King of Dragon Pass game, which came out as a PC game originally, and that's that's way back in about 1999, isn't it? Yes. And then uh, it had a amazing rebirth as a iPad game or as a as an Apple iOS game, and now it's even been ported to Android, I believe. Absolutely. And, uh, Rob was, I, uh, if I recall, you were, were you the, um, story I was the director? lead guy. Well, I was the, I, I, I was, a, I was, David hired me at some point to be like, uh, I was supposed to spend two months going ahead and just checking the code, to, and checking things to make sure it all worked right. And it turned into a two year job. And by, and by the end of it, <laughs> did I you in, live more or less live in David's basement? Uh, it wasn't the basement. Um, and I would say that I used his uh, guest room as a uh, as my as my room about once or twice a week because I was uh, living on the other side of Seattle and I did not have a car 
And so I was, uh, you know, sometimes I would just spend the night over there if I worked too long or played games with you guys. So yeah, that, those were diff- that was a different era. So and then after that, you, you got involved with some other company doing something else. Um, other yeah, than well, making client material, I got to work with David because I had been working at Chaosium, um, um, oh. um as uh, as Greg's um, right hand Glorantha guy. Except that um, I, as as Greg's right hand Glorantha man, I felt sadly that I was mainly like the French executioner. Um, you know, <laughs> so it wasn't uh, it wasn't a hugely productive period. Um, and, uh, and then after the, the mythos layoffs, I ended up coming back to Washington and, um, that's where I, uh, got a job with David. And, um, I think the, the, the biggest things I contributed to, uh, the King of Dragon Pass were probably all the heroic battles. That system hadn't been in the game. And I was like, no, no, we really need something to show people making choices and like having a little intimate vignettes. And uh, that was a lot of fun to add. So I didn't realize you were responsible for the uh, heroic uh, battle vignettes in King yeah. Dragon Pass. Yeah, those were the, that that hilariously. I suspect that might be my yeah. That's my my biggest Glorantha writing previous to uh, previous to this job, for sure. Yep. Wow. So. And so, um, speaking of this job, tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, I am going to suspect that a huge number of your listeners know a little bit, so I'll keep it slightly brief. Um, my best friend, Jonathan Tweet, was the lead designer of 3rd Edition D&D, and I was lead designer of 4th Edition D&D. We've played games for years. We've also always loved Glorantha, and oh, that's how I pronounce it. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> I'll try to say it your way sometimes. Um, but, not, a, not a problem, Mr. Heinzu. <laughs> that's fine. And so we've talked several times, and you know, in, in other years we had talked about, wow, could we adapt to one of the games we're doing to to work for Glorantha? And it never seemed right. Well, 13th Age is the tabletop role-playing game that Jonathan and I designed together, basically to be able to work together for a while, and because we wanted to have the game, the fantasy D20 rolling game that we would play at our table uh, together on Wednesday nights. So having having finished 13th Age together and really enjoying working together on it, it was kind of, I don't know, I had a sort of a dim, a very faint thought that maybe something could happen with Glorantha, but then conversations with Jeff and Neil later on indicated that they might really be interested. And, um, and, and, and seriously, getting... Jonathan to work on role-playing games these days, Glorantha is the most energizing uh, project uh, possible. Um, I, I think it is fair to say that on 13th Age, I definitely uh, pushed everything through and completely and handled the, you know, the majority of the design. And so far on the 13th Age and Glorantha project, Jonathan is really, really uh, doing a huge amount, and 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 uh, it's it's been really great working together on this. Yeah, so we're creating, of all things, a level-based D twenty rolling, uh, storytelling, emphasizing game, which is going to be all about uh, characters, runes, and hero questing um, in Glorantha. Wow, and uh, there was a Kickstarter. There was. Uh, 
it, I, I learned an awful lot. And, and a lot of times when people say that, they mean, wow, that was a disaster. <laughs> uh, but, what, but, but on this particular Kickstarter, I really, really enjoyed running most of it. And, um, and it was, it was a, a, a really uh, great way to connect with the community, to find out and hear from people. Um, I think Jeff is always involved in a sense with uh, Jeff, you are so much more involved with ongoing community discussion than I am because as a, on a regular basis, I, my workflow sort of like, I'm a little bit more of a hermit um, um, perhaps. A uh, little bit more of a hermit? Yeah, I know. I'm a lot more of a hermit, but when I, sort of came when I sort of came out of the hermitage to uh to run the Kickstarter oh my god that was so much fun and uh the Kickstarter did really really well um we blew through all kinds of stretch goals we have uh backers who added very interesting things that uh that uh, some of which I haven't publicly talked about yet and that's partly because at the moment we're really getting the core elements that people expect finished um, while keeping an eye on the special, um, the special stunts we're, that we're going to pull, um, uh, with the final playtest draft. And so, uh, I, I'm really, really excited about it. The 13th Age of Glorantha Kickstarter was a joy to do, and, uh, the project has been great. Fantastic. So, 13th Age was a, uh, yeah, a very successful game in its own right. How many, uh, how many players from, from that side of the ledger do you think you're going to be bringing over to, to the Glorantha version? That is an excellent question. I'm going to guess. <laughs> I'm going to, and I, you know, I don't have a solid answer because what happened during the Kickstarter was a little bit surprising. What I noticed was that um, we did not draw everyone who we got with 13 True Ways, which was a Kickstarter project for 13th Age. Mm-hmm. But we did get a substantial number of them, and we did get a whole lot of people who never were involved with – it was weird. I think we actually were sort of split three – like the pie was split three ways. Yeah, it was between, a three-way – it was a three-way yeah, split. People who definitely were involved with Glorantha before, partly because we knew that they had supported the uh, the guide to Glorantha, people who supported 13 True Ways, and people who supported neither. And um, because of the – uh, I we haven't done the full. You know, maybe we're going to have an answer to this question a little bit more when we do a survey. But but role playing games are very weird because a lot of tables, not everybody buys books, and so you never quite know who knows what and who owns what and who and you know one person's buying a book for a table that was playing the other version. And so um, my my hunch is is that. Because we're making this giant effort to make big, big pieces of the book fully compatible with regular 13th Age, um, like that people could draft pieces into their games easily, mm-hmm. that I think an awful lot of people who would not buy any other Glorantha book are going to pick this up because it's going to have, well, the Windlord is going to be a variant fighter, essentially, you know, and the Orlanthi warrior is a variant barbarian. And, um, and the rune system is a different way to like use icons, perhaps. So these, such, these are examples of things that I think we'll get, we'll be, we'll be drafting players. 
But wow, I, you know, I, since you aren't, you don't have a pistol at my head and you aren't putting huge pressure on me, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I'm therefore going to try to give you numbers. I don't know the numbers. I think it's going to be, it's going to be substantial. Uh, but I don't know even as a percentage, you know, what it is. I also do think though it's going to have a tail in the sense that, um, because 13th age books are, uh, you know, new players are coming into the game regularly. Um, and all the time, uh, and therefore the Glorantha, the Glorantha book will be picking up play, people over time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the, the thing that everyone knows about 13th Age is the one unique thing, and that's – how do you think people are going to use that in the Glorantha setting? What's, what's going to change for people's characters when they, when they pull that thing in? Now, when you say change for people's characters, uh, which change from what? Well, change I mean, it, it, the the one unique thing, all of a sudden we've got Glorantha as a really interesting game setting. Yes. Uh, I just think there are some... Okay, so so the, the really, the great part about the one unique thing is that it is a way for players to simultaneously cast, to make up something about their character that can almost, in Glorantha terms, establish them as if they were one of the great heroes. Mm-hmm. Not that they are one of the great heroes now, but when you think about Harak the Berserk, my God, he, he killed his god and wears it as a fur on his back. That's uh, definitely a one unique thing. That's a one unique <laughs> thing. And uh, Jariel the Razorist, Jeff pointed this one out, product of a uh, centuries-long eugenics program by the mighty Lunar Empire. That's a one unique thing. Beatpot Elrin. Uh, well, in, in previous incarnations, you might say that he uh, was a kitchen slave who rebelled with a, a cleaver in his hand and a pot on his head as armor. Uh, that's a one unique thing. So yeah, the, the Glorothan... It works so beautifully with the setting. It does. And I am I'm thrilled by how well it works. And in and, and, and the advice I can write for Glorantha, who people who know Glorantha well, I'm able to go ahead and call on the heroes and say, look... Think of yourself if you're, you know, picture yourself as a hero someday. Give yourself a one unique thing that may, that people are going to be able to talk about easily uh, that really you know, sets you apart. Now, in practice, in, in the play tests, people are having no problem doing it. The great thing about one unique things is that it gives game masters an immediate understanding of what that player kind of wants this campaign to be about. Mm-hmm. It, it, it gives you plot hooks. It tells you a adventures that you're going to have later on and it also just lets the player help create the world and i think that uh, that glorantha has always had this interesting challenge between oh my god it's like thickly described uh ethnography um with, with a complete mythology and simultaneously it's something that you with maximum game fun want to go ahead and make your own with your own um with your own versions and your embellishments and alternate history and a decision that no that's not quite how the lunars work and 13th age is already that game in the sense that uh we only you know what the things we really for people who come to this from 13th age or independent storytelling gaming the really important pieces of this are well here are the gods. These are the runes. This is the map. Uh, 
And these are some of the names of the, of the, and these are the classes and other background details. If you want to go ahead and change them via a character's backgrounds or the one unique thing and the game masters into that, it is, that is, you know, completely open. So there's going to be campaigns, you know, where somebody is going to say, uh, I am the only survivor, uh, of, of the moment that the centaurs decided to destroy Sar- Sarter. And the mm-hmm. game master is going to go, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, so you're saying that Ironhoof and the Centaurs finally got sick of Sarter for some reason and just rolled through it recently, and you're the survivor. And the guy's going to go, yeah, yeah, is that okay, everybody? <laughs> and, and the game master's going to go, oh, okay, I guess you're the only survivor of Boldholm, and that's going to be a different campaign, you know, so – and it's perfectly okay. You know, the thing is, is that other Glorantha material will be able to be used. This is now going to inform the fact that, oh, my God, the uh, the Beastmen are the huge enemy uh, to the south, as just the, like the Lunar Empire is the huge enemy to the north, and Chaos is the, the huge enemy everywhere. And that will be a fine campaign. So that, that's that's the big example of one unique thing. It's, it's going to be uh, great for people who have been – who know Glorantha because I think they will be able to go ahead and, like, uh, indulge themselves – with stories they've never been able to uh, enjoy, and maybe now they will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, this this setup enables you to have uh, inc- the same sort of uh, interesting, weird flavor that you get in when you read some of these books, like say King of Sata or some of these histories, where you have these weird these characters that have these these weird characteristics or unusual characteristics, that hasn't necessarily come out if you generate a character in, say, the uh, traditional game rules that we had for for Glorantha, which was RuneQuest. I totally agree, Bob. Um, You know, one of the things that that I find really pleasantly surprising about what Rob has shown me on 13th Age Glorantha is how much that ties in with the approach that we've taken with uh, HeroQuest Glorantha, although HeroQuest Glorantha is much more of a hand-wavy, hippy-dippy game uh, that, that you know, definitely doesn't have the sort of broad-based appeal that 13th Age has. You mm-hmm. still end up with very similar feel uh, about how unique these characters are, which is quite different from the days of RuneQuest 2 and 3. Yeah. You know, I have to admit, I was not... I I loved RuneQuest, and I did an awful lot of solo gaming with RuneQuest. I don't think I actually played with other people that much. And I remember that at the time in my life, I, I was actually a pretty bad player. I just, I was such a contrarian. I, and, you know, as an example, I definitely remember that uh, my RuneQuest 3 character, um, was a uh, second age warriors who whose spirit inhabited the body of a fallen lunar mm-hmm. and uh, you know woke up on a battlefield and so now I'm like you know talk about talk about role playing the fish out of water. Uh, hello, Sarda writes. I'm wearing Lunar Empire, but don't worry. I'm from the Second Age. <laughs> and so, I'm a god learner. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Everything's cool here. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I definitely, you know, my approach to old RuneQuest was kind of uh, one unique thing anyway, but I don't know that it worked that well for me. 
So I'm looking forward. You know, it's definitely, you know, Jonathan and I are sort of creating the kind of game we want to play. And and I should say something about the dynamic. Um, we know that there are game masters who will, because of Glorantha's history, they will think of hero questing as something that you only do when you are uh, really, really powerful. And uh, But the way we're phrasing this game even the very first adventure that people are playtesting right now, it's first-level characters, you end up on a hero quest. And the game is going to alternate between adventures in the mortal world and adventures um, on the hero plane. And uh, uh, we're, you know, we're pretty committed to that with the mechanics and with a, and with the story and with how we're setting things up. And players who are new to Glorantha won't know any different. You know, it'll be what they, just what they're used to. And so, uh, We'll be backing that up um, with interesting takes on playable myths, and it that it's going it's very very we're very happy about like bringing that best what you know sort of like that best element of Glorantha, uh, making it an integral part of the play experience instead of keeping it as something that uh, is held off. Yeah, it's like a, a either a, spe- a really special occasion or uh, something that's only done after you've uh, you know your character sheet is like you know three inches thick from all the adventuring well, you've done. And, and I guess you have to say, therefore, you know, our version, you know, just story wise, our version of Glorantha is not the same. You know, it's not the same as as other, precisely the same as other versions. We're we're taking a spin on the story that allows people to interact. Basically, that allows people to interact quickly with fun elements uh, that have dynamic consequences both on their characters and on the world. And um, yeah, but that's, that's very really much. I, I have to say, Rob, that's 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 very much uh, in line with uh, the material that we've been putting together yeah. for I, I it, so. for the last that, several years. I, I, I think I, it'll I, come. It is. Um, but because we're coming at this almost like from a um, what's the word a um, uh, the, the background you know in uh, in Thirteenth Age characters might be going on dungeon dungeon delves and uh, and here in Glorantha they're going on hero quests and it's a, Isn't a dungeon delve just a, a a type of hero quest. Uh, you have made that argument. <laughs> and it's <laughs> and uh yes, except it usually doesn't have the mythic resonance or yes. the consequences for the world. Yes, because you're not fetching your way through a dungeon. Yes, I mean it's it's kind of like a um wow, it's a uh it's a secular hero quest. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, I I. I I think that, that, that part of the confusion about HeroQuest comes back from the RuneQuest days where we were always waiting to see s- special HeroQuest rules. Because that, that was in the back of the book, wasn't it, uh, for just about every publication for about 20 years. Come exactly. And, and Greg could never get um, a set of rules that he thought worked with, with RuneQuest. And so it kept getting touched while you're just not, you, you know, you're just not powerful enough to be able to, to go on a hero quest. But, you know, when your characters get more powerful, then you guys will be able to go on a hero quest. And, you know, as our characters got more and more powerful <laughs> and when we still didn't have hero quest rules, we, we, we assumed, yeah. oh my gosh, 
You know, right. the only way you get, can and be on Robin, a hero quest. Can, you know, when Robin did the hero quest rules, actually, I'm sorry, what was it called? The hero, boy, uh, the hero wars, wars. rules? That was what it was called. Um, uh, at the time, um, you know, Greg was really happy because they, the narrative approach in which it was the story that mattered was exactly what he wanted to see out of, you know, hero, out of hero questing. Um, and, you know, I think that it's taken a while to sort out the tangles of the system into what HeroQuest Glorantha is now. Um, and the, I suppose that, you know, it really is, the difference in flavor between the games is just that uh, it, at 13th Age is um, crunchy, crunchy combat uh, connected with storytelling. Um, and, and that and the narrative style, the, uh, the, the action point system of HeroQuest Glorantha is just, you know, there's a different style for different, really for different tables, I think, a lot of times. But, man, I'm reading HeroQuest Glorantha all the time um, and using, piece, you know, inspiration from it for this project. Hey, hey and that actually comes up with, with a question I wanted to ask you, Rob, is, is that you've had a, a pretty much well, a hardcore crash course deep submersion back into Glorantha the last uh, six, seven months. What's been the 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 thing that you didn't know before that's entertained you the most? Oh, okay. Well, I can. T- the, the The first thing that the first thing that comes to mind is um, that I had the the Argraph stuff in King of Sarter had always kind of made me just go, I have no idea what's going on there. <laughs> you, know, just, you know, it was just sort of a a, a future box of um, whatever, man. <laughs> you know, I, and, and, I, and I guess I felt, and, and triple whatever for Harsh Axe. Um, so I've been really, really happy to see you be working on the Starter Magical Union and, um, and getting clear on how um, – What's going on there um, with the character or characters who are our graph? And, you know, I'm definitely factoring that stuff into 13th Age and Galantha in a different fashion um, because we're not we're not exactly trying to use all the elements of the of the um, of the um, of the core timeline. But it, that's been really fun to see. And there's going to be some, you know, I'm not this book is not going to be able to exhaust the possibilities that are like coming out of that. So that's been great. So what, what, oh, what is the, the other, the other no, one no. is, is, is having fun discussions with you, Jeff. Uh, like that, when we were in Europe, uh, at, in, uh, in England, uh, and going ahead and being able to establish that the actual, uh, the name of the, uh, the troll class that is going into this book is the hell mother and precisely why that's true. Yeah. I, I'm enjoying that. <laughs> yeah. That was fun. Yeah. That was good. So, the, the the troll <laughs> the troll <laughs> yeah it's very funny because like there would be two ways of doing trolls in a book that's mainly about other characters and one of them is to like sort of sanitize them a little bit and be like here's how they play nice and the other way is to be like it's the hell mother guess <laughs> which guess which way you guys went huh <laughs> yeah so so 
What is the uh, what's the time frame, Rob? When when is this product going to be out? Do you think? Aiming at Gen Con, and man, when I use the word aiming, I say I I mean aiming, but I don't. Uh, if if somebody was telling me, uh, I'm trying to get my design pieces done so that could be possible. Okay, that's about what to say. So yep. uh, that that's exciting. Yeah. So we're looking, we are looking at sometime in the middle of this year, anyway. It yes. is definitely uh, yes, definitely this year. Yep. That's really and exciting. And I are much, you know, we're going to put out another playtest packet in a couple of weeks um, with a bunch more pieces. Um, and I have been starting to get playtest feedback so far, and so far the feedback has been both good and. Uh, really positive. So it's one of those good times where um, the problems that are there are surmountable rather than uh, systematic. Mm-hmm. So, well, 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 that that's always good because uh, when when they're systematic, that's uh, that that's not a not a great help for you. Now, now Robert here. Um, I was just wondering. Um, my my background, I have to say, is more actually in uh, in Call of Cthulhu. Uh, so I don't have the deep knowledge of the Glorantha mythos that uh, that you guys have. But um, one of the things, I mean, we're all kind of reaching a certain age, and, and a lot of this 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 base work was done oh, 20, twenty plus years ago. Are there any moments where you thought, you know, this this I, I, I wish we'd done it better back then, or or are you perhaps throwing this out to rock to rock to Mob and Jeff as well, or do you look back at the stuff you did twenty twenty five years ago and go, damn, that was fine. Oh Lord, the stuff we do now I think is is significantly better. <laughs> For, first off, we have an art budget. Yes, yes. I think uh, one of the biggest things that's happened between now and then was Kickstarter. So uh, you have the opportunity for products to come out for the first time looking rather flash that wasn't possible back then. I got into the gaming industry in 90, you could argue 92, I started freelancing, and in 94, I got a job at Daedalus working on Shadow Fist, and I sometimes, I, I think that the big answer to your question is that there's more good games and um interesting creations occurring now than ever before. Um, Partly that's, you know, yes, Kickstarter is now helping a great deal. Partly it's that um, computer gaming to a certain extent and mobile gaming has spread some layer of gaming savvy across the general population. To people like my mum. (laughs) <laughs> what game is she playing? Uh, oh, she's always doing different things on Facebook. Right. So it is the the culture. We don't quite live in Germany yet, you know. Uh, oh, except you, Jeff. Um, well, yes, um, yes. <laughs> where you know the where board gaming is a is a truly honorable pastime, um, and. We probably won't live in Germany because I think the computer um, 
the computer thing has sort of jumped past to a certain extent. But we, because of, um, you know, indie games and their effect on role-playing games uh, and collectible card games and their effect on the money that's possible to make in the gaming industry and on the mindset of people who are able to create interesting systems, I think that just all those factors together mean that, um, you know, I could look at a Dragon magazine from 20 years ago, like, or like I remember working at Chaosium and, and they, they got copies of Dragon magazine at the time. And, you know, that was second edition D&D. And by the way, I'm not a fan, you know, <laughs> second edition D&D, not so much. Um, and, I, you know, if you read those issues, it is a different world, you know, from that era. It is um, – there There are pieces that – it is – and some of the pieces that have survived well are or, or died aren't the ones you would have expected. I mean, in those days, um, Hero Games via Champions was giant. Um it, and now not really, you know, mm-hmm. they, 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 they have, there are people playing it, but it's sort of, it became too much like a computer, that kind of engineer thought games have become simpler. There's a, there's a sort of a, the really, really complex role-playing games are, you know, uh, I think I can name the most complex role-playing game that people are actually buying a lot. Um, uh, Shadowrun, um, I'm pretty sure is like, and, uh, it, it basically, it has legacy that people really, really, you know, love Shadowrun. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're going to like keep, they keep on using it, but that is, I, in a weird sense, that may be, I, I'm open to somebody suggesting other games that, 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 that fit that criteria, but there's a, there's a few that are smaller, but if you look at things like Fate, well, GURPS. Isn't well, GURPS still around? Saying fate is simpler. What? Fate is simpler. Yes, yeah, so I was I was thinking GURPS on the the more complex. Yeah, GURPS level is more complex. You're right. I'm I am discounting GURPS, and I shouldn't do that because um, I I just haven't been in touch with GURPS for so long that I that I haven't been tracking it. In fact, I think I remember the last time I saw people playing GURPS, it was you, Jeff, and you were chasing. Yep, a I was. You were chasing a giant hog around a marketplace while mounted on a Norman warhorse. Yes. Yes. That took uh, several hours to model yes. out the uh, second edition role. And I believe that was the end of my my second experiment with GURPS. <laughs> when, when a combat with a large hog took three hours of dice rolling, uh, we realized that that was not the game system for us. I actually kept walking past the room because there was literally zero chance I was going to play in that game. And I was sadly able to watch the participants' psychological hit points drain away. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't the game. What was the game that claimed they had a table for everything? Yes, yeah. That would have actually had the... um, the chasing hog table, and then you could have gone to a sub-table for the breed of hog, and then there would have been another sub-table whether your war horse had, uh, you know, shoes on it or, or whatever. Well, Grub started out as Melee Wizard, and, I mean, that was a that was a formative game for me. I think, in fact, you know, that Oh, was, I remember that game, too. Yeah. Yeah, Melee, with, Melee and then Melee Wizard rocked. were the first... Um, 
I mean, I think that I had also bought Ogre and I'd also bought uh, a couple other micro games. Like, <laughs> um, but I, I had Dungeons and Dragons, I had Boot Hill, but Melee was the first game that actually made sense as a system <laughs> that I just was like, oh, this is how things work when they work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and so uh I yeah, I I played so much of that. I can't even you know, and I I got neighbor kids. I, I had like uh eight or ten person games with everybody controlling ten or twenty characters and stuff like that, you know, just crazy stuff. But then uh the system simulation you know, and there's a difference between I think that let me tie this back to games theory in thirteenth age and Glorantha for a minute. The games we're talking about that are really, really complex are also doing that complexity. Uh partially because they're aiming to simulate the world. It's like they're the, mm-hmm. they're the type of games that when you, you say, oh, this is a wooden doorway, the question is, how much damage can a wooden doorway take? And if I hit it with this particular weapon, what, you know, what really is going to happen? Um, whereas games like HeroQuest um, and 13th Age are not concerned with questions like that. You know, they 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 yes. do not. They're serve. not trying to mechanically engineer the world. Yep. Whereas we are um, aiming to help people um, create hugely memorable action adventure stories that involve uh, what we're doing, Glorantha, and hopefully, and often Thirteenth Age that involve themes that really matter um, and that people will remember. And 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 that's a you know it's a different goal. Um, we, um, Jonathan and I, you know, Jonathan's version of D&D 3rd Edition was about as far down the simulation path as I want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, and it definitely created a language that people are very, very comfortable um, thinking in. And that is the virtue of simulation games. They do create a, a common language that people are able to sort of apply uh, once they've mastered it. And, um, uh, but definitely 13th age, uh, did not take that path. Um, it, it, well, it, it, for people it, who want to do that, that more simulationist, uh, aspect of gaming in Glorantha, there is, of course, still, uh, RuneQuest. There's RuneQuest Rune 6. Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. So we've, and, we've got something for everyone. And I noticed that they just had Mythic Britain out. Yes. Yeah. And I have not seen it yet, but I just noticed that it that it happened. So I oh, like, oh, I played in uh, in like one of the final playtests for that, and that was just awesome. It's it's a really great game, and it's got amazing cover art too. I only saw a tiny little version. I will look. I will look later today. And speaking of cover art, um, I think Thirteenth Age Glorantha is going to look wonderful. Um, yeah. do you know more than I do? As in. Are you? I, I I think I'm probably going to agree with you, but also I'm saying you know more than I do. Have you seen it? Well, you get the you get the Johnny Hodgson cover, if you recall, Rob. Yes. With right. the bat. And, and then the other and then the other cover is by Heather, right? Yes. Heather Hudson. Okay. That's for the source book. I I think the convention, Rob, is if somebody tells you that your your product is going to look amazing, the convention is for you to say, "Oh yes, of course it will." Yeah. You know, you're so incredibly correct. <laughs> <laughs> I 
do live for these podcasts because they do remind me of what is commonly expected of my tribe. <laughs> hey, Rob, Rob, we've been um, we have now been talking a while, so we're gonna we're gonna wind up with some questions that we're gonna try and ask every one of our guests on this podcast. Can I can I ask Rob one more question before we do that? Um, Rob, was the the thirty days was, was that your first Kickstarter? Well, let me think about that really quickly. Uh, thirteen true ways. The thirteen true ways Kickstarter was the first Kickstarter that I was involved with, and bizarrely, the it was a Kickstarter for a sequel to Thirteenth Age that we ran before Thirteenth Age was published. Okay. So everybody thinks, hey, there was a Thirteenth Age Kickstarter. Well, really, there wasn't. There was a thir- there was a there was a Kickstarter for the sequel. Um. And so, uh, which is, which is definitely a case of managing to slingshot the cart ahead of the horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think given that, that a lot of our listeners really would be intensely interested in the Kickstarter process. And, uh, what's, what's one thing that you would tell somebody who is contemplating doing a Kickstarter? What's the one thing that you would tell them to do? Okay. Um, one thing, okay, boy, here's the problem. One thing doesn't suffice. The, okay. the, the, the one thing that you have to realize is that you need to be fully committed. Um, you need to go ahead and recognize that you're, that if you're doing it right, you're probably spending three weeks or a month beforehand seriously getting it ready. And that the period during the Kickstarter, uh, if you're actually, there's, wait, there's two ways to look at this. If you're actually devoted to making money in the process, then you should be looking at it as your, almost your full-time job. Um, because you are almost, to, almost, uh, <laughs> you're right. I mean, I, I, that qualifier is, yeah, it is your full-time job, but you, you might have to do other things simultaneously. So there you are. Um, the, and that way, but it, if you're not, there are Kickstarters that set their targets incredibly low, and they only really just want to, you know, uh, to get some support for a project that you're going to do anyway. If you're doing a Kickstarter like that, maybe it's not your full-time job because you have different goals. You know, it's not, that that's not what you're doing. Um, uh, and engagement, engagement of the people who are actually doing the work with the audience that they are, that they are aiming at. Um, is is crucially important and and uh, and should be a lot of fun. Um, okay. So so Rob, we're going to end with the uh, the goofy questions we're going to try and ask all of our guests. And hey, these Rob, act- what's the origin of these goofy questions? This actually comes from the Maximum Game Fun uh, character sheet that we we knocked up all those uh, all those years ago. Formerly asked of people's characters, and you're now asking of the characters who agree to be on your show. Yeah, yeah. Rob, don't you know, <laughs> Rob, don't you know the maximum game fun rules? I do. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm I I am I'm cognizant. Of, yep. I seem to remember they had pictures of ducks involved. Yeah, or uh, <laughs> or shaved baboons that are painted yellow. I think is also a theme that runs through yeah. it as well. Uh, that, that, that's a terrific name for a band. <laughs> Shaved baboons. I just don't want to see the lead. That's a painted that yellow. Um, so, 
We did used to ask, uh, you know, three things, but we're just going to do the one thing for this. So what's – and we're talking about you as a gamer here, Rob. Okay. What's the one thing that you do better than the average gamer? That's not even fair because uh, the, 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 the easy answer to that is, is, is game design. <laughs> Sorry, that's just what leads to mind. And you do do game design better than the average gamer, Rob. I think I do, you know, so I really, that's not really a huge, huge surprise. So. Okay, well, I'll move straight to the next question. What's one thing you do worse than the average gamer? Uh, finish campaigns, role-playing campaigns that I start running. <laughs> and what's my, one thing? My, my, my group is a sad, you know, when I start a new campaign, there's already groaning about people going, if I fall in love with my character, will you shoot, will you shoot her quicker? <laughs> you know, will we just stop playing next week? And things like that, because my track record, it ain't good. It ain't good. So, so what's one thing that everyone knows about you as a gamer? It, okay, and by everyone, you mean, uh, I don't necessarily mean the world at large, but if you know, maybe if people have played games with you, they know this. They know this. Um, I have a higher tolerance for uh, for for chaos than many of the people who I'm with. I think that's where one unique things come from too, because that just that just that just opens up a world of possibilities, doesn't it? Or a universe, or a multiverse of possibilities. It when does. You bring that in. Yep. So what's and finally, what's one thing people don't know about you, or probably don't know about you as a gamer? Um, that's harder. Um. That my current secret aspiration that I have not been able to live up to is to be able to one day attend a miniatures gaming convention and just have fun doing miniatures gaming at a place where I'm not actually working uh, as a, a game designer or as a uh, salesperson. <laughs> so my my fan activity would be to go to a miniatures game convention and uh, I just haven't been able to budget the time, so it hasn't happened. Well, it's now out there, so so yeah. maybe if someone knows Some this, send Rob to a, a miniatures game convention. Now, do we mean by miniatures? Oh, do we mean see, fantasy miniatures? Miniatures? Are we talking tin soldiers? Oh, uh, we're talking um, soldiers. Little, oh, little awesome. Yes. Yep. Games like to get uh, you. Games like DBA and Saga and uh, we need to get you out to Europe again and have you head over to Salute. Well, you know, I'm aware that the the, the point of somebody getting me to Europe implies money being spent in a professional manner, which is not necessarily used <laughs> to playing miniatures games. So there we are. You're not going to be a fan if you pay. This is a tickets, horrible but, uh, catch twenty two. It really is. And, uh, there's a great convention here in Washington called Enfilade, but it actually happens on a, um, a, uh, holiday weekend, which we always use to go traveling or camping or something like that. So I've just never been able to make it and so on and so forth. This is go something ahead. I didn't know about Rob and I've known Rob for a long time. Rob, if you could play in any tin soldier, uh, miniatures battle, 
what would it be and what side? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I, I play in anyone. I don't think I'm necessarily so historically oriented, um, precisely. Um, I really, really like the game Saga right now, which yes. is a, uh, the game by the Frenchman. Uh, what is his name? Alexis Bookdell, published by, um, God, Tomahawk. What's the name of the company? Uh, uh, <laughs> Tomahawk Studio. Oh, is it? Studio Tomahawk. And um, I would love to play in a uh, – I would love to be able to play a, um, in a soccer tournament sometime. Um, I'm afraid that the, uh, the, the, the armies I usually like are um, – are, that game rewards skill, and since I never get to play it, I have none. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I have played, I have, I have ended up on the sharp end of the spear so quickly that it's not, you know, it's like, hmm, this is, this is something I haven't mastered. So, uh, yeah, so I'll be playing Vikings or Joms Vikings or, um, maybe one of the Russian, uh, step tribes or something like that. So, yep. That is fantastic. awesome. That is awesome. You know, we've, we've had a, uh, a very long and freewheeling discussion here, Rob. It's been great to have you on our podcast. We're going to have to wind up now. Um, it's going to be very exciting to see 13th Age Glorantha come out later this year. Who knows? Uh, you might see Rob one day at a miniatures tournament somewhere. He'll be the guy <laughs> hiding down the back. He'll be the guy playing and if you... Vikings and losing horribly, <laughs> but correct. with a giant smile okay. on his face. And the biggest story everybody knows about the Joms Vikings is, you know, that that the heroic death where they all they all choose death and get slain in various gruesome ways by somebody who's curious to see if they will come over to his side. So I'm role playing them really well. <laughs> <laughs> And unfortunately, if, if anybody does see you at a, at a miniatures convention, they'll come, they'll probably, if somebody mischievous could just come up and offer you money to do game design on the <laughs> yeah. spot. And, uh, and, and then your, your, your dream will never oh, happen. Well. But, but you, but, but you'll have Not money. Problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much, Rob. We really appreciate you coming on Tales of Mythic yeah, Adventure. That was great. Thank you. Really Thanks, honored to be, be on first. And, uh, I look forward to, um, hearing other episodes. Talk to you guys soon. Okay. Thanks, Rob. Fantastic. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. And that concludes another tale of Mythic Adventure, coming to you via download at mythicadventure.com and on iTunes. This was a Rabbit Hat production in association with Moon Design Publications. No ducks were harmed in the production of this podcast, but several baboons had their feelings hurt.